Welcome to the Clutch Burners podcast tonight. Your location for all the cool stick shift stuff, racing, tech, stories, and, well, our good looks. Over there, that's Rich Guido, a.k.a. the Canadian Chuck Norris. And that's Bankship Billy, inventor of the Bankship Billy. <laughs> awesome. Um, and we have a very special guest tonight. We've got Mr. LT record holder. Mr. Six Second Stick Car, Mr. Fastest H Pattern on the Planet Earth, and Mr. Tick Performance. Can you guess who that is, Rich? Yeah, the guy who's cost me a lot of money so far. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he went faster and it cost me money, but uh, <laughs> Jonathan really, Atkins um, is in the house. Yes, Jonathan mm -hmm. Atkins. Hey how you doing, sir? Good. How you guys doing? Oh, we're pretty good. Um, appreciate you getting on here. I know it's... Uh, Although I can still see the sun out in you, it's a little bit later for you. Yeah. But, uh, appreciate you jumping on here with us. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No problem. So, Rich, I think you had a funny story for the week. Well, Maybe not even car related or sort it of. It seems like it's always jacked up, jacked it's, up like Rich, it's like Rich's dumbass story for the week. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Travis will put a picture on here, but I've been looking at a sagging deck for the whole summer, thinking I got to fix that. Did you say and, uh, sagging deck? Sagging deck, yeah. Like the deck had a bit of a woo in it. And so there was a couple of uh, rotten pieces of wood under there. So I did what any car guy would do. I got some six by sixes and took two of my car jacks underneath my deck, jacked the deck up. Um, didn't lose any teeth, don't have any scars, any new scars. Uh, but it did work well. And uh, Travis will throw a picture on there, and it looks a little seedy, but uh, yeah, car guys, we're creative. You got to do what you got to do. So it worked well. So anyways, have a look at the picture. It's pretty funny. Nice, nice. All right. So Jonathan, again, super flattered you're on here, but yes. let's just, let's talk about, you broke the internet this week. Let's talk about that. Um, you and Garrett both made side-by-side personal best passes and then you then broke the uh stick shift record again like a few hours later um, well that was yeah that was the second time you broke it in the same day oh, right? my, my mistake my mistake yeah i'm just i'm so blinded by the uh limelight here so so <laughs> go ahead jonathan tell us about it give us some history like uh, we'll ask you lots of questions but just feel free to ramble yeah uh yeah we we set the h pattern record earlier that day uh, before racing Garrett, you know, in that four-car shootout that they had. So we went a 675 at 213, I think, and kind of blew our mind because it was like 2 in the afternoon, I think, maybe, you know, sun was bearing down on the track. And uh, we, we kind of put a tune in it, you know, with what we thought we'd go into the, you know, the next round later in the evening. But we just wanted to see if it would, would stick because we'd already had a good qualifying run with like a 703. Uh, so, so we threw a little bit more at it than I thought would probably work, but it, it worked. I mean, the track was phenomenal and it went to 675, you know, we were, you know, just super jacked up about that. And then in the four car shootout, which, you know, was not something that was originally scheduled to happen, you know, Victor, uh, the owner of Bradenton and, you know, the, the guy who puts on FL2K, he, uh, they started announcing for me and David Farlow to, to come to the tower to see if we wanted to do a grudge match. And it turned into a four-car shootout pretty quick. And, um, you know, they were calling it stick shift versus the world. And, you know, 
you know, hyping it up pretty heavy. <laughs> and so we didn't run our fifth round of qualifying because we knew we were going to get that pass at the, at the end of the night. And uh, ended up going to 661 at 216. Uh, 111.60-foot, I think. Uh, so it was a pretty killer pass. Exceeded our expectations, I think, along with everybody else. But Did, did you um, jack it up from the 675 pass, or were the conditions just better? We did turn it up some. Uh, we turned up, you know, I think we might have added a little bit to the launch RPM. We added some boost, you know, coming off the line from where we were at with the 675. It was mainly the same pass as far as, you know, like down track and the boost ramp and that kind of stuff. Just left a little more aggressively. And then in fourth gear, about midway through fourth gear, I'd say I, I got on the scramble button because I didn't realize that he had read it. And we were pretty close. You know, he was a car out, basically. And so I, I grabbed the scramble, which was kind of crazy because, I mean, this is not the race we went to, you know, to race. We were just in this four-car shootout deal. But uh, it and it and it took the scramble too, and that probably contributed a little bit to the mile per hour gain that that we had was just that that last little bit of extra boost that we had on it. So it, and, it, that, and how so much like, did you have in the scramble? <laughs> well, I think we had sixty on the dome or something like that, and the scramble added another twenty, you know, to the to the dome <laughs> pressure. So you know, it picked up another ten or so pound of boost, you know, when I grabbed the scramble. Dude, so, so Jonathan, like, I'm lucky if I ever even put 20 pounds of boost to my setup. <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're like scrambling three times. Like, it's retarded. <laughs> yeah, well, we got this little tiny small block Chevy engine, you know, and it, it's probably not the most efficient cylinder heads and intake manifold and everything else. So to go fast and make lots of power, we got to run lots of boost. Well, I mean, clearly it doesn't work very well. Yeah, yeah, it's hardly... <laughs> It's 300, 340 cubes, is it? Is that what it is, Jonathan? It's 348. 348. That's yeah. freaking crazy. So yeah, what it, is – so let's get in – I am curious some of the details on this. So it's like a Gen 1 small block Chevy, not an LS. Right. Yeah, the the, the engine we had ran up until this actual race has always just been a stock block LT1. So like the original block that, you know, the 97 Camaro would have came with um, – we did put a bow tie block in the car for this race. First time out, we actually made a couple of test hits at an eighth mile track before coming to Florida, but that's, that's all we made. But basically it's the same engine as the LT one was. It's just a gen one style block, which we don't run any water in the engine. So the main difference between a gen one and a gen two, you know, like the LT one we ran is just the cooling system, you know, the reverse flow cooling. And of course they had the OptiSpark distributor, you know, that everybody, uh, beats up on and hates you know so badly about those engines but you know all that stuff's gone so essentially the lt1 we had been running anyway was you know a 350 small block chevy and the difference between this engine is just it's a like a 4130 bore now instead of a 4030 bore so nice. well that helps the heads breathe for sure yeah we, we we went to the larger bore and then we got a set of the next level up Brodix track one head. So we went from a 233 to a 245 mm -hmm. and that bumped our intake valve size up a little bit from like a 210 to a 212. A uh, little bit larger cam, but otherwise the same stroke, same intake manifold. It's re really about the same engine, just that bore size difference. And the, the water delete option, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, no, no what? We don't do any drag and drives with this one. We, we push it everywhere it goes with a golf cart. So. <laughs> um, so, so for the people listening, when you say reverse flow, can you talk about that for a sec? Yeah, the the Generation 2 small box Chevy, which, you know, the LT1 engines, like from the 90s, they had a, a different way of flow in the water, which just basically meant that the water went into the cylinder head first and then came out through the block instead of, you know, normal engine small block Chevy would go into the block and it comes out through the intake manifold uh, through the heads and then out the intake. But the LT didn't have, you know, a thermostat housing on the intake. It was on, you know, part of the water pump. So it, it was a better, I mean, I think it was an improvement over the gen one small block Chevy stuff. As far as performance is concerned, LT engines were, you know, you could run more compression and get by with a lot more uh, because of that. But with our engine, it's, you know, fully filled block, solid heads, no, no water jackets even cast into them. So. Oh, the heads, you don't even run any water in the heads either. No, no, no water anywhere. <laughs> well, so you just run methanol. It. Yeah. So methanol and you figure with the burnout in the past, you're running it for 12 seconds at a time, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, we'll, we'll fire it up and let it warm up in the, you know, the staging lanes for a minute or two, you know, depending on, where we're where our position as we're coming out onto the track, but we don't really worry about temps, you know, very much because there's no temperature gauge. Even really monitors all temp. <laughs> there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Water, water temp's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we watch all temperature, but I mean, usually we'll go out on the track. It'll be somewhere around 100, 110 degrees all temp, and you know, by the end of the track, you know, I usually let the car idle until we make the turn off, just to kind of let the turbo. Yeah, uh, cool down, keep all going to that. And it's usually around 135, 140. So it, nice. it doesn't get very hot. Um, I'm curious about valve train, uh, cam, lifters, all that stuff. We do you mind going into a little detail on that? Yeah, no, I don't I don't mind. The the cam it's a small box Chevy cam size as far as core goes, nothing big or special about that. Uh, I don't even know what the size of that is, but it's tiny in comparison to an LS or a big block Chevy or just about anything else. Um, but it's comp cam that, or comp grinds the cam for us. Uh, Martin Smallwood at Smallwood Race Development, he actually specs the cam that's in the car now. He's done the last couple of cams for us. Um, as far as the specs go, I don't even know if I could quote them off the top of my head, but it's somewhere in the, like the low 260s duration at 50 intake, low 270s exhaust you know around 800 lift yeah that's a lot for that little motor yeah rowdy. <laughs> yeah it's it's got it's got a lot of overlap so i mean it sounds like a, you know a nasty na engine you know when it's idling and of course it's in a small cubic inch that makes it that much nastier or rowdier and you spin did i hear you spin that thing to 9200 yeah we uh i think on the pass against garrett we were at 9000 um we turned it up to 9,200 before the weekend was over. Hold on a second. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. I, I was real busy before we jumped on here, and so I'm not, like, super organized. We were throwing rocks at a hornet's nest. Nice. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah it's, uh, my son's birthday was today. He turned nine, so we had some family and some of his friends and stuff over, and we discovered a, a huge hornet's nest across our driveway in the woods. Is so, that like a special kind of pinata? <laughs> it is. 
<laughs> we threw two by fours at it and had a slingshot. And so, were you blindfolded in proper pinata fashion? <laughs> no, we, we definitely didn't want to be blindfolded. We did have to run across the yard a few times. <laughs> That's like initiation it? when you turn nine and uh, oh my god, <laughs> in the Carolinas, <laughs> go oh, get yeah. that, go get that off the tree there, son. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys get it down? Did we get it down? Yeah. Nah. Or did you just piss them off? Oh, they were definitely mad. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, <clears throat> okay. So tell us a little bit about the transmission. We saw some pictures online this week. I even commented that, hmm, looks like something's missing there. <laughs> I know what it is, but I don't want to spoil it. So what is it? <laughs> oh, it might have been fifth and sixth gear we're missing from the transmission. <laughs> oh, you're saying in my transmission? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't run fifth and sixth. Yeah. Is yeah. that strictly weight savings, rotating weight, or it, it doesn't add any strength? Uh, it's mostly just weight savings. I mean, I think the, the fifth and sixth components, the synchro, the blockers, the fork, everything, we weighted at one point in time. It was like 10 pounds. So... Mm. We do it for that. You know, we we modify the shift rail inside, uh, basically lock together the five, six, and reverse lever. You know, there's a secondary rail that actuates those gears. So we make a couple of spacers and, and make that piece become like one piece. And then we cut one of those levers off. And we, what we're doing is putting reverse gear, you know, the selector into the slot where fifth would have been. So we mod then we modify the reverse lockout with a piston that we make, you know, CNC. And so what that essentially does is when we go from second to third gear, there's no way you're going to miss it. You know, there's no five and six, like empty slots there mm -hmm. where we pulled gears out, but everything's sparse shift rail functions. Got like it. Slot, yeah, know, that makes wood. sense. So it, that lockout, we the way we modified, it's it's solid. There's no spring, so there's no way to, to physically bypass it or override it you know the electronic side of it has to work but as long as everything's working you know we're we're going to come out a second and go you know clean in the third you know, 100 out of 100 times nice so and i am i know rich and i are both curious but first of all what ecu you running we run a holly dominator okay so how are you managing um your clutchless shifting like what are you doing like torque management type of deal. What do you do that? Yeah, we've we've tried a couple of different things, but the the basic <laughs> principle and you know how we still ended up doing it through the weekend is we just run the engine into the rev limiter, so it's a it's a total hard ignition cut, and uh, when it basically you know how a rev limiter would normally work is you'd have you'd set your high side to say, in our case you know we're shifting at nine thousand, so high side we set at nine thousand. And normally the low side would be like 50 or 40 RPM less. But what we're doing is we actually set the low side of the limiter about 15 or 1700 RPM less. So when it drives into the limiter, I already put some pressure on the shifter, you know, to, toward the next gear. So when it hits that cut, it just instantly jams into the next gear. And then, you know, that large split in the, you know, the rev limiter's high and low side gives you just enough time to get it clean into the next gear. Yeah. And then once it goes into the next gear, because the clutch never got disengaged, it mechanically has to drag the RPM below that 
reignite point. Yep. And it just it just works super seamless. You know, so it's super simple. So, and I have another um, more detailed question in regards to that. I I utilize the same tactic. Um, what do you are you utilizing some type of a a timing cut or ramp the timing back in on the shift? And the reason I ask is on my setup and we have a, I have a different clutch and we'll talk about that, but my clutch doesn't slip at all. And if I don't do that timing cut, like I've twisted the input shaft and num- more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> He's got a flower pot and it looks like all input shafts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are yeah, some expensive uh, flowers. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't do anything as far as the timing retard when it comes back in. I mean, it's just, it's on that hard cut. And when it goes to the next gear, it's straight back in, you know, full power. There's, there's no time and retard or a duration, you know, time-based retard or, or anything. It's just right back to it. On your data log, do you see a little clutch, a little flare, just a tiny flare as the clutch gives a little on that shift when it clicks back there, on? There he is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the clutch tune or the clutch adjustment's going to, you know, accommodate and, and kind of allow what we're doing to work. Cause there, there is a moment, you know, where it reengages, it does have slip and depending on the power we have in the, in the car, you know, like on the pass against Garrett, uh, we carried slip pretty much the whole entire pass. It's just as the RPM is coming up in each gear, the slip percentage is, you know, getting closer and closer to the, you know, the engine RPM, the, the input speed sensor, you know, or the input speed is getting closer to RPM. Uh, but it's, it, it slipped really on that pass more than, than we would, you know, really like to see, but it was, you know, it was fast. It's just that clutch, you know, life doesn't, it doesn't last very long if you let it slip that much. You got to take the disc out and rub it on the concrete a couple of times to get it to <laughs> clean up. Yeah. Oh, I think we've not, seen that before. <laughs> I was going to say, we've been known to, you know, rub a, a piece of gravel against it. You know, we <laughs> like throwing rocks at bees nests and rubbing our clutch disc with them too, I guess. <laughs> do you say nice things to your clutch? Like, I'm so sorry that what we're about <laughs> to do to you. <laughs> uh not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we've we've pushed the clutch that's in the car way past the point that the you know the clutch manufacturer is comfortable with. I mean, we've we're still running the old stamp steel three lever. Um, you know, it's it's just crazy. Uh, wow. you know, they have five sixteenths bolts. You know that hold the pressure plate to the flywheel and yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have the same one. I'm I'm still dialing it in, but. Uh, it is crazy that you've went that fast with two eight inch discs. Like, yeah. Yeah. So what is the weight? What is the weight of Grubworm? The weight of the car? Yeah. With you in it. It's just shy of 2,800 pounds. I haven't weighed it. You know, I weighed it at the beginning of this year and I think it weighed 2870 something, or I mean, 2770 something. So, you know, it's about 20 pounds shy of 2,800. So, so Rich, that's just about um, a thousand pounds shy of you and I. <laughs> that's 12, 12, just about 1300 shy of me. Uh. <laughs> but different yeah. applications and. Uh, For sure. Yeah, yeah. We know Jonathan's not doing any drag and drive events, but it d- didn't really matter that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, talk to us about the clutch. So, twin, eight inch, same as Rich is running. It's, uh, what is it, Rich? Advanced clutches? Advanced clutches from Rob Youngblood. Yep. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, 
Now, I don't know if either of those guys, Kale or uh, Rob, will listen to this, but it is very entertaining trying to get advice from those guys. Uh, one of them's a pro stock guy, and the other guy's a super stock guy. So <laughs> they both uh, they have some different. Uh, neither one of them does drag and drive events, but <clears throat> we've I think we've got them both to work pretty good for our applications. And like I was chatting with you, Jonathan, at that with the clutch ear on and I did my best 60 foot ever and the graph looked really hokey to me but apparently it looks similar to yours but <clears throat> so yeah they work they're uh they're quite amazing uh to hear you say that you've you slipped it the whole time and it still went 216 miles an hour that's that's incredible yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 been interesting, you know, it, it's the advanced clutch, you know, I've never ran anything other than that, you know, when I went to adjustable, I mean, that's what I went to first and, you know, that's what, that's what we've used this whole time in this car. And like you said, I mean, the, some of the advice you get, and I'm not talking bad about no. Rob or, or Kale or anything like that, but it's just what we're doing is so far out, you know, in left field compared to what they do or have seen, or, you know, usually, you know, what they would consider normal i guess because we're on the radial and you know the clutch has to do all of the work there's there's no wheel speed or tire slip or anything you know it's like the clutch has to do everything and we're racing a car you know that needs to leave the starting line at you know maybe eight or nine hundred horsepower and then you know a second and a half into that pass it's on 60 pounds of boost making 2000. So it's, it's, been, it's been a challenge and a, a, a huge learning experience. Um, and I think we've kind of blown Rob's mind at advance too, you know, cause he, he, it's to the point now where he's like, and you gotta, you gotta get the billet. Cause see, I bought a billet uh, eight inch from him, just got it a couple weeks ago or a couple weeks before Florida. And we put it in the car and we tested, we made two passes and then that's when we broke the transmission when it, you know, oh. turned the entire bottom of the car blue. Is that when you and, painted the whole bottom of the car blue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, for one, the transmission may have broke just because it was the third season on the majority of those parts. I mean, we've had a lot of a luck or success with the transmissions that we've done in our car, and that thing had been running a long time. So, you know, it could just be the transmission was tired and, there was a crack that formed and, you know, it just happened to break then, but sort of feel like it was where that clutch was just overly tight. You know, it was a new clutch, new to us, the car and the suspension and everything's really sorted out well, but this new clutch was, it was just too tight and we broke. And part of that was Rob had used some discs that were, you know, kind of not really what he would have preferred to use. It's just the way things are nowadays is what he could get. Yeah. We, in the same place, same place, yeah. Yeah, we were just kind of trying something, and he was, you know, had had a little bit of feedback from other customers that were tearing those discs up, so he wanted us to, you know, be really uh, aggressive or tight with our clutch adjustment, you know, on the couple initial passes to just kind of seat everything in, and, you know, if we slipped it real bad, it, they were, the discs were going to come apart was his fear. So we, we were overly tight with our clutch adjustment, and we broke. And then, you know, we didn't have time to make more test hits before Florida. So we ended up just putting our whole entire old school, you know, stamp three lever deal back in the car. But it's, a, it's you know, it's just a safety concern at this point. You know, the, the old stuff with the little five sixteenths bolts and, you know, we, we've got to make that move 
to the billet. Yeah, it's hard yeah. when you know what works though <laughs> with yeah. what you have and you have to yeah. try to go to something new. So, um, so Jonathan, tell us, I mean, clearly you have a good transmission builder because uh, I think you own Tick Performance. So tell us a little bit about Tick, like employees, how long you've been in business, how it started. Just give us some history. Yeah, uh, Tick Performance was actually started by my dad. Uh, he was just like um, a shade tree guy, you know, he worked in a furniture factory pretty much his whole life, but he was a, a shade tree mechanic, did a few, you know, street and strip type cars, engines, basically, he, you know, he would do engines for all the local guys. And so he, he, en he ended up losing his job at the furniture factory that he was working at about 20 years ago and just decided he wanted to open a garage, you know, something he enjoyed and, you know, wanted to work on performance work, you know, engines and performance related things. Uh, so he just did, you know, whatever was necessary to get a business license and just rented a little tiny section of a building and, you know, took performance was born, I guess. And he started getting some more. I mean, this was, this was in 2003, I think when we first started, so we're like 19 years into it now. Um, where's where's started, the name? Where's the name come from? <laughs> well, I wish my dad was sitting here because he could tell you a good story about it. I'll <laughs> give you the cliff notes. Um, my that was a nickname that my dad had among his friends. You know, they they called okay. him Tick. All the car guys knew him as Johnny the Tick. Okay. And uh, the reason they called him that, to make a long story short, is he, you know, this was back in the seventies, I guess, you know, late seventies or whatever. So the, the late 1900s. <laughs> yeah. So he, he was, you know, out in the, the, you know, our, we're from a small town, you know, Mount Airy's a, a real small town and uh, he was going to, you know, street race this other guy in town that had like a Ford Torino or whatever it was with a 390 or something in it. And they were going to race my uncle's Chevelle, which was a 350, you know, small block 350. <clears throat> and, you know, in their dis discussion of, you know, this race that was about to happen, my dad told that guy that, um, that that Chevelle with that small block 350 would outrun that Ford, whatever, a hundred times out of a hundred times, as many times as they want to do it. And then when they got done, he'd open the hood and he'd show them that it was as stock as a tick. And, you know, it's just a really stupid thing to say, you know, it's like, what does that even mean? Uh, they all kind of made fun of him, I guess, was the story, you know, and they started calling him tick. And, you know, so when he decided he wanted to open a performance shop, he thought, well, I'm on the name it tick. And then all my car buddies, you know, that, even if they don't know I started a shop, that's, you know, they're going to think about me and they're going to know it's my place. So that's why, you know, that's why it got named Tick. And that's a great story. Yeah. yeah. And, and the Chevelle one, right? Or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just, 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 you heard that, eh, Bill? <laughs> no, I, it broke GM, up there for a second. The, I mean, the GM, what? the GM one, Bill. Can't hear you. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, Rich? Uh, what's your quickest CT so far, Rich? Oh, it's <laughs> 877, Bill. Okay. What's okay. yours? 870. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see which which one's a GM product. I can't remember. Pontiac. That's under the GM flag, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Come on, I got to carry the Ford flag. You yeah, know that. <laughs> that's a pretty cool story about your dad, though. I was going to ask you about your dad because I see him at the races with you. And, uh, you know, after you ran 661, <clears throat> everybody was running over to him and congratulating him. That's pretty cool. My my dad does all the uh, drag and drive stuff with me, too. He's yeah. turning 80 this year and uh, <clears throat> there's no slowing him down. And it doesn't look like there's any slowing your dad down either. So he looks like he's yeah. he's having a ball and enjoying you carrying on the legacy for sure. Yeah, yeah, Rich, tell them what, tell everybody what your dad said when you did that street race. Which which street he race? Said, Don't break the car because. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's when I went down to Oklahoma to do the last race with Bill. That's all my dad said. He says, don't you break that car before we go to Florida in February. <laughs> that's all I cared about. He's like, he wants to go to Florida, go to sick week. That's so so cool. we're going to drive my 1500 horsepower GTO all the way to Florida with uh, winter tires and mud flaps on it. Again, and again, again. And now because of you, I'm, uh, I got some radials coming that they might be Hoosiers. It might be the exact ones you were running. <laughs> um, so I, I spent the last two days measuring my chassis. And uh, it was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you. How much rear end travel do you have in that car? Yeah, uh, we're the shocks we run in the rear is just a it's a bolt on stock location, you know, AFCO that fits an F body. And it's a seven inch travel. Um, I think at ride height, you know, because I'm. Obviously, this is not a street car, and I don't know that, it, you know, if it were your car, you'd have to probably change the setup. But at ride height, I have about one inch of compression left. So mm -hmm. it, yeah. it separates going down the track. You know, the way the, the way the F-body suspension is, is once it, if it's set up to separate, it's going to separate and just continue separating until it finds the top, if you got enough power into it. So it separates about a full six inches, you know, from where it, from ride height to what it's actually going down the track, you know, about at about the point it reaches the top of first gear, it's at full separation. Yeah, that's it's, quite a picture with you and Garrett, <clears throat> where your car is like stink bug and his is his is uh, even though his is radial too, but uh, yeah, that was that's a pretty cool picture seeing yeah. how how much separation you have there. So, can you go into a little more detail on the transition from uh, a bias ply slick to a radial because rich he's been bit here and i've been thinking i've been thinking the same thing now that um and i guess the main difference is i run a diaphragm style clutch but i have a digital clutch control device um mm -hmm. that i developed and interestingly enough when rich and i because we actually talk more than just this podcast if you can imagine <laughs> that <laughs> um but when we compare data logs and stuff especially on first gear they actually don't look that different um the, the way that our slip and the little bit of flare on the hit and everything, it, it's fairly similar. Yeah. And now that I have that under control, cause that's always been a challenge with the diaphragm clutch is the launch. Um, but boy, I'm feeling more confident about running a radial, but I've heard some really ugly things about it and I'm hoping you can enlighten us because I've heard it's really hard on parts. Uh, you know, if you don't have stuff right and all that, and the track's gotta be like on the money for those to work right with a stick. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, um, if you have something that's, you know, milder in, in terms of power, then you would run a milder clutch, you know, in terms of diaphragm, street style stuff. So you might get by with a radial just because your clutch don't have to be crazy aggressive to handle your power. 
Uh, and it comes back to what I said a minute ago, you know, we're, we're trying to leave the line at eight or 900 horsepower and, you know, feed in up to 2000 horsepower just in a second and a half. So, you know, the adjustable clutch makes that possible. Uh, it makes the, the radials possible and it, you, you know, your bank shift Billy device, you know, if you can get similar results, you know, as far as clutch slip as Rich is getting and then still control it, you know, once it goes down the track, if it's, able to couple up you know I, I would think the radial would work for you you know just just fine um my background in, in racing even though we have tick and we've done you know the manual transmissions for a long time uh mostly i've had like small tire you know automatic like ultra street type cars or x275 type stuff yeah and you know so i i've been running radial since you know 2005 or something we'll say and it's just what i this is what i knew and then when we got this grubworm car uh it was a car that we had built for a customer as a street car and he you know drove it and enjoyed it for a couple of years and he decided you know he's ready to sell it so we bought it and i wanted to drag race it he didn't really drag race it or you know he's it's a street car just roll racing fun you know on the street kind of stuff so we put bi-supply tires on it just because that's what everybody does with a stick car. You know, that's, you buy, even if you look in the, you know, the catalog at tires, if you look at the radials, it, it'll say right on it, not recommended for stick shift applications. <laughs> so we put, you know, bi-supply slicks, 2810 5s or whatever, stiff wall, Mickey Thompson's on it. Um, and I just never could really make it work good. I mean, we could, we got it to 60 foot, you know, like a, high 120 low 130s you know we'd turn the tire a few rounds and you know the car goes down the track looking like garrett's car you said in the picture you know that you was just talking about where it's all squatted out in the back and you know the front travels all extended out and car was just i mean it, it got fast enough it was scary like it you know we got up to i think we went 80 at 180 with the bias plus slick on the car Ooh. And it was just, it was hard to drive. I mean, it was scary in the quarter mile at 180. And the next race I put, you know, I was like, you know, I know all this about radials. I know how to make suspension work for radials. I, you know, I realize it's a stick car, but I just, you know, I had to try it. And at the time, you know, a couple of other guys were running radials. Yandro with the Minion, he was running radials and we were seeing him. And, you know, he was coming to some of our local events and, you know, just kicking butt. So we decided, let's just put the radials on the car in the very next race. You know, of course, we made a few suspension changes, um, some stuff that, you know, we knew should work with radials. And the car went right out there and it ran 780s. You know, and it, it was like we, we it was streetcar takeover Atlanta, like in maybe 2018. And we didn't, we didn't, it never spun. We made every pass like a bracket car. And I mean, just, it was amazing. You know, it's like, why didn't we do this? you know, from day one. Um, but yeah, the, the radial, it just works. And unless, you know, we're going to a no prep race, which is not something that we're probably ever going to do with this car, but, uh, unless it, if there's any prep, I'm going to be running a radial, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to a bias ply if somebody sponsored me bias ply tires for life, you know, it's just. So awful. you picked up two tents going from a bias ply to a radial. 
Yeah, and I mean the car was a lot more stable too, so I mean it was a lot more comfortable to drive. So is it safe oh, to say you saw the two? Was the increase in the sixty foot dropping, or was it all in all the incrementals? Um, I mean it was probably across the board. I mean the sixty foot was a lot better, but more than better, it was just a lot more consistent. You know, it, at that point in time, I don't think we really went extremely faster. And we, we may have changed a couple of other things between those two events, but that was literally back-to-back events. We, we ran the bias at Charlotte Street Car Takeover to the 8.0s, and then we went to Atlanta on a radial and ran, set, you know, I think maybe high 780s, so a little more than the 10th game. But the, f- the funny part is, and, and probably the best video I saw after you broke the record, was where somebody overlaid uh, you whistling going down the track. <laughs> I'm thinking – because it, it did, I, I don't know how many times I watched that in-car video and then the overlay of um, RPM boost, shocks, all that stuff. But uh, it looks amazingly smooth. Super yeah. calm, calm and yeah. collected, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not a hard car to drive. You know, there, there's more to that whistling song, you know, video than maybe you, you realize. But we're from Mount Airy and Mount Airy's Mayberry. So that oh, yeah. was Andy Griffith song. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Griffith is from Mount Airy. He's originally from our hometown and that whole nice. show was supposedly based on our town. So they thought it'd be funny if, I, you know, I was going down the track whistling the theme to the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> Running 661 at two, 216 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was pretty awesome. I, I, I laughed. I thought that was hilarious. You, you know what the problem is, Rich? My bank account's scared now because I'm going to have to order some radials since you ordered them. <laughs> Mine are on the way, yeah. <sighs> Just send um, me the part number, please. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you you, typically run like a Mickey Thompson um, uh, 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 bracket. Which which radial do you normally run? Yeah, we, we had run the bracket radial, you know, exclusively until we switched to the Hoosier, and, and that was just purely out of what was available um we'd never run you know a lot of guys run the pro the mickey thompson pro radial uh, which is a little stiffer sidewall i mean it's probably the best tire for just really exceptional prep but we'd run the bracket radial and it's just all around good everywhere like i said a minute ago you know we we run the right if there's any prep we're going to run a radial and it's just been great but it got to the point where, you know, the tires that we had on the car coming into the back stretch of the season, they were, they had enough passes on them that I was ready to, you know, to take them off and just couldn't find any Mickey Thompson's. I had had some ordered for a couple of months. Uh, they just weren't coming in. So we seen that the, which I didn't even know that a DR2 Hoosier was a thing. I didn't know that existed and seen them on some at site, you know, just, searching for you know options or if they had anything and so we bought a set and and tried them and that's what we ran at florida and i mean they they did great so it's uh, a, v, a vr2 a yeah, yeah. Like oh, DR2. no 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 bill they're vr2s yeah I'm you taking, order <laughs> i'm taking you you get right the vr2s right I'll, de- I'll get the dr2s and we'll see what happens thanks <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, thanks to Jonathan. They're probably sold out everywhere now. So uh, uh, <laughs> it was man. probably a major run on those tires after uh, after that bus. Yeah. So so spe- speaking of supply chain issues, um, as far as tick, what um, 
like, do you have parts or materials that you're having trouble getting also for manufacturing stuff? Cause you guys, and talk about some of the parts you guys make like some stuff in house. I, I have one of your shift forks now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And you have that awesome front cover with the spray bar. But Both yeah. lights are on that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was your yeah. fault too, Rich. You got that first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll both be ordering some shifters that uh, before you start talking about your business, the shifter that you run in your car, that's your shifter. Is it a mid plate or is it the aft mount? Yeah. The, the shifter in my car is the F body style, you know, because hmm. our transmission is, is, you know, a car is an F body. So the transmission case is, you know, it's, it's still old T56 stuff. We're, you know, we're running the G force T56 gears, not the Magnum stuff like you guys, hmm. but um, it's a, it's a F body style shifter. Um, we so sell the, the four bolt or six bolt one. It's a four bolt. You know, okay. it's just a, it's a specific shifter to fit, you know, the, 93 to 02 Camaro style case. Um, you know, standard Magnum Magnum would have the six bolt shifter. And then of course we sell a, a relocation shifter, which would go on that panel, you know, the little four bolt plate that's yep. on the main case. Mm -hmm. We sell a shifter for that too. You know, if your application calls for a shifter to be that far forward, uh, we don't actually, I think we do. We just recently released one for the XL, which is a little different. Uh, and even the TKX. So the guts of those shifters are pretty much the same. The mounting plate's a little different, but the guts of it is the same. Yeah, the um, the standard Magnum and the and the F style that I run are the same. And then we've kind of changed it up a little bit on the the newer designs that we've you know just recently came out with, which we're also about to release one for the the Corvettes, which fits nice. all C five, nice. six, and seven. Um, but it uses a little bit different design of a spring, uh, the detent setup, or, you know, just the spring that centers it's a little different. So it's a little more compact, a little easier to make, and probably should be more durable, I would say, too. Are you um, are you looking to sponsor any Fords to run that shifter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can, we can help you out if that's what you're hinting at. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I recently, uh, like I have a stock T56 Magnum and then I have my G-Force <clears throat> and I'm just going through it before Florida and I just threw the stock shifter back on. I thought it was broke. <laughs> like yeah. currently I'm running a, um, an American powertrain uh, white, white lightning shifter, white, which is a shorter throw, but it's got ceiling issues and uh, but I, I was amazed at how big that throw is on a stock uh, yeah. Magnum shifter. And then you watch your video and you're like, beep, beep. You know, it's just like nice and tight. So, yeah, yeah you, you, you'll be getting a call from both of us, I'm thinking. So, uh, um, yeah, I was on your website for a while. I was amazed at, you know, camshaft combinations that you guys sell. You want to talk a little bit about those too? Yeah, we we do. Uh, we do a lot of cam packages. We have our own grinds of cams, you know, our own part number or line of cams that, you know, rank is basically LS based stuff, you know, and new LT. Uh, we do have some cams for the old LT, you know, which is the small block Chevy style, like, like we've ran. Um, but yeah, we, I don't even know how many cams we offer, but you know, everything from pretty much every application engine wise from, you know, the five, three, four, uh, 
4853 LS1 all the way up through LS7 stuff and then you know the new LT stuff a uh, couple three levels of NA cams you know we got boosted cams turbo cams uh, stroker motor cams you know all that kind of stuff is just on our shelf that's awesome yeah you got like four pages of cams i was i was yeah. looking i couldn't find the pontiac ones but uh, i was looking <laughs> they're on page nine and ten <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome so um so how many employees do you guys have at tick uh it, it hovers around 20 i'm not sure right now we're, we're probably 19 or 20 nice and i think you said you guys have been in business almost 20 years now since 03 so yeah yeah that's cool um and like what would you say your best selling products are or top selling products um believe it or not as far as what we manufacture it's probably our air to water intercoolers uh, we really do, we do a ton of air to water intercoolers for like the holly high ram and of course we have a, a style for a texas speed intake that they released not too long ago so we just we sell a ton of those but other than that, it would it would be back to our manual tranny stuff. So our shifters, especially the F body style and the standard Magnum, uh, and then our clutch hydraulics is really the clutch hydraulics is really what got us into the machining side of the business. Because you know we we've been in business a long time, but we didn't start out as a machine shop or you know manufacturing you know parts. We started out as just a garage that turned wrenches. You know we we built cars. Um, you know that evolved to the point where you know we were doing enough performance work that we needed to start tuning cars so then at that point you know i, I became a tuner <laughs> uh you know that was kind of my job was was dyno tuning cars um but the the clutch hydraulics thing was something that we came out with before we had a machine shop and we had other other machine shops and and other companies that kind of made the parts that were custom to our kits for us and we packaged kits, you know, starting out with an F-body clutch master cylinder kit. Um, then we did the the C5 Corvette, I think, then a kit for a GTO. No, no, sorry to interrupt you, but you're you're talking about just the master, and they're adjustable, right? I think I've read about them. Yeah, it's a, it's just a it's a kit that basically adapted a tilting cylinder to fit, you know, certain you know stock applications. So, like okay. I said. A, fourth gen f body or it would fit third gen and fourth gen technically i guess but uh we did the f body we did the, the c5 then we did a gto and, you know we're the kit was using the tilt and cylinder or still does use the tilt and cylinder but it was a you know a custom machined adapter bracket you know a custom machined uh, piece of hex for the rod depending on the length of the rod you know we yeah. had custom heim joints made to fit the stock pedals you know things like that and those were really you know one of the things we did as a turning point you know for where the business kind of really took off was with the clutch hydraulic stuff and the, at the kind of the same point we started doing the transmission builds more instead of just a local level we started doing a mail order you know so the business kind of really took off at that point and uh the hydraulic stuff it was just it was difficult to deal with outside companies you know and and have <clears throat> predictable lead times and you know our, our products would be back ordered because we'd be waiting on a machine shop to finish the fittings or the bracket or whatever yeah so that's what got us into machining in the first place 
uh, and we've, we've been doing the, you know, our own products in house for, I would say maybe six years now. That's, that's how new that is. Uh, we kind of phased out the, the installation side of the business, you know, little by little as it, every time we'd add a machine, it's kind of like we'd take another lift down, you know, <laughs> and a, and a, a technician would find a, you know, a different job. I mean, we didn't have to let anybody go, thankfully, but it's like we, as we, as we grew the machine shop, the installation side, you know, just went away little by little. We sold the dyno a couple of years ago. So I don't, I, I do tuning just for, you know, a couple of, of our better customers or close friend type customers, you know, just track tuning type stuff. I don't, we don't really offer, you know, those kind of services anymore. Sure. Sure. So you have all these machines. When are you going to start making clutch discs? <laughs> well, it would be nice if we could do that. <laughs> clutches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've talked a little bit about it, you know, I mean, we, on the street side of things, we sell, a ton of monster clutches. I mean, monster, it's like a big deal. You know, we're a, one of their biggest, if not the biggest dealer for their product. Nice. And, you know, it's just, I'm sure there's the the potential to make our own clutch kits and, and sell a ton of them, but we've got good margins with a couple of the companies we use. So, you know, really just trying not to step on their toes and, you know, yes. just, the adjustable side of things, you know, with the clutches like we race, I mean, that's a pretty small market. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe sure. one of these days, but not. Yeah, not <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. I know that, you know, we had Mark on here before you, Mark Shiflick from GeForce, and uh, he had nothing but good things about to say about dealing with tick performance and how uh, he was happy that you guys have a partnership. And I know, like, people are ordering their g-force transmission it's like do you want a tick front plate because they work yeah. really well so really, uh yeah. yeah it's it's i think it's important nowadays well i think it's always been important but even more so nowadays to make sure you're uh you know working with your suppliers and treating everybody good including you know fellow businesses that you deal with so yeah, yeah. like i said mark had nothing but good things to say Oh yeah. Uh, Mark's been a great guy to work with. Like I said, we're running the G4 stuff, even their older stuff. And it, it's been awesome. What few little parts we have heard or customers, you know, I mean, he, they've been super helpful, easy to deal with. And, you know, they use our billet plate. We, we use mostly their gears. I mean, we, we do some transmissions with PPG gears, mm -hmm. uh, you know, also a great product, but it's just so easy to deal with G force. You know that's that's why I like them. Yeah, it's yeah. it's funny with Mark. Some days I'll uh, if I call him up to need a part, I swear the doorbell's ringing, and I'm in Canada. And I'm like, how the hell did he get the parts to me so fast? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the previous company didn't have the same reputation, so yeah, Mark is fantastic. Like, yeah, he bends over backwards for us. He's been yeah, great, so. yeah, for sure. I'm on the uh, subscription plan for the input shafts, as a matter of fact, right now. <laughs> Just one a month. That's Just right. send me one a month. Yeah. Uh, you have any, uh, you got any top secret parts in the works you want to tell us about? Maybe we'll wait till we're offline. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know that we got anything, su you know, super top secret coming out. You know, like I said, we, we've got our Corvette shifters that should be releasing actually just any day now. Um, if they haven't already, I, I'm even almost out of the loop on some of that kind of stuff. I mean, we have a guy, I don't, I don't run the machine shop side of the business even really. Uh, we, 
a guy that's been a long time employee, Matt Goins, he handles all that. You know, I kind of bounce ideas off of him and, you know, uh, some of the products are my ideas. Some of them are his idea. Um, you know, some of them are customers idea that, you know, there's just a need for, but, um, new stuff coming out. The only thing I'm really aware of, I mean, I know we just did, uh, the drivetrain couplers for Corvettes, you know, so they have the torque tube. Yep. So we're doing like polyurethane and billet aluminum couplers for the, for the drive shaft. Uh, and we're also about to, or, or we're working on a billet front plate for the Corvette guys. Uh, so that's the next thing to come out, hopefully. With a spray bar and all that, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, what we're going to actually try to do with that one, and it might get incorporated into our other plates too. I hope you don't get mad that, you know, that I'm telling you guys this, but um, <laughs> you know how the, some of those transmissions, the TR6060s have a mechanical pump. You know, there's a yeah. mechanical pump that circulates yep. fluid through a cooler. Um, we've done a little bit of testing with that and we're probably going to make that front plate have the ability to accept that. Uh, or there would be a block off plate if you just want to use the electric pump like we have been. Yeah. Um, but it looks like that mechanical pump's pretty powerful. And, you know, we may try to even make our own pump or our pump like a pump insert. Because some of the transmissions like the, you know, from a fifth gen, for example, they have a pump, but their front plate and, you know, Bellhausen's and all, you know, it's an integrated piece. So we're looking at maybe upgrading that pump and then having all of our billet plates accept that pump as well. So, you know, because we're looking at the, you know, the road race guys that are using it for reasons more than just, um, you know, adding lubrication to those gears, you know, for six, seven, eight seconds down the drag strip, you know, they needed to, you know, to run uh, continuously for, you know, a 30 minute session or whatever they might be on the track. Yeah. That's, that's what we're working toward, you know, and if, if you could eliminate the electric pump and use a mechanical pump, you know, it's just, it, simplifies it for the you know the guy that's installing it into their car you know there's there's no wire and there's no figuring out how to mount a pump um so we're we're thinking that that might be a a good way and you just plumb that pump back into the spray bar you know instead of it just returning into the top of the case like it does you know an oem application um we the mechanical pump would still feed the spray bar so yeah i don't even turn my electric pump on until 2500 rpm <laughs> so it's usually and i mean the thing cruises at 1700 at 80 miles an hour so it's not very often yeah. on the street i'm 2500 rpm not very often <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah. uh same boat mine's on at 3500 and that i mean that would be irresponsible for it to ever come on on the street <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, we should uh, we should probably ask you some more specific questions just about stick car racing. Um, actually, I would say stick car racing's really taken off, though. Hey, like, have you noticed? Well, I mean, that top ten list. What is it? You're the fastest, and then the number ten is like seven thirty five or something crazy. Yeah, I, I, I seen that the other day. Uh, I think Yandro the minion maybe shared it, shared yeah. or made a post about it. You know about. Uh, being slow or whatever because he's gotten bumped off of that list you know he's been out of the game for a couple of years and looks like he's about ready to get back into it but yeah it's it's pretty wild you know that the speeds that guys are going and of course at florida granis you know he bettered his 
you know, he set his personal best and got into the six sixties as well. So, I mean, he's, he's right there. I mean, he beat us in the finals. Um, so, you know, we, we've got competition at, at, you know, at that, and there's other cars that, you know, are going to be super fast that I think haven't really, you know, showed their, their full potential yet. Um, one of them being, uh, the speed factory Honda, you know, that guy, he's been like seven O's, um, with like a wastegate issue, <laughs> you know, he, wow. he runs to like the, about 500 feet into the pass and ripped a wastegate diaphragm or a blow off valve diaphragm or something. Anyway, boost fell way off and he still ran a 704 at like 190, which was probably 20 plus mile per hour off of what it actually would have ran. Wow. Jeez. Wow. There's huh. some fast stuff coming out. Yeah. Hey, before I forget, uh, parachute flying off. How was that? it was scary <laughs> <laughs> did you see it did you have a rearview mirror you probably do hey see oh no there's no there's no mirrors that's that's extra weight we don't need <laughs> yeah if they're behind you they're losing <laughs> yeah yeah it uh the parachute i mean it there's nothing wrong with the parachute itself we'll say that first you know because people think oh your parachute failed and you know, that's not what happened. What what happened is, you know, where we push the car with a golf cart, there's a push pin that we leave in the back of the car. You know, it just kind of, it, it rides in the parachute mount and we never take it out. You know, it's just, if you leave it there, you don't ever lose it. And somehow the loop of the parachute that the bolt, you know, that's holding it to the car would pass through also got under or around that pin. So when the chute deployed, it yanked against that pin before it yanked against the actual bolt that it should be, yep. you know, pulling against. And it caused it to rip the, the metal where that mount was fabricated. And then that, like that sharp edge just sliced it right in two. Mm. I don't, I don't know how it's possible that it could have even gotten the way it did. Cause I mean, we've made hundreds of passes, I guess, over the course of, you know, the last four years with that, set up the way it was and then somehow you know it perfect scenario the thing got wrapped around that pin and as soon as it pulled i mean i, I felt the chute hit and it made a loud pop and it's just no brakes <laughs> so wow what uh what are you running for brakes on that thing uh we got the tbm brakes on it nice you like those heard really good things about them yeah uh we had run the um aerospace brakes on this car all you know up until this year and we redone all the suspension the rear end all the front suspension everything over the you know this previous winter so that's when we changed to the tbm and i mean the the aerospace brakes were fine i guess you know they they did good and they'd been actually they were on another car i used to own before they even got put on this car so we you know had great service from them yeah, but the TBM brakes were lighter. You know, the the they spin easier. You know, there's less drag or no drag. They say, I mean, it's one of their their points. You know, to yeah. market their, those brakes, and I mean, it's true. I mean, they're super nice. You know, high quality brakes compared to you know what else is out there. It seems like, and yeah, you know, I, I just like Doug Cook. You know, in motion, and yeah. you know their whole <laughs> uh, business plan or mentality. You know, I, you know. I, I just want to support them, you know, so that's why we went to the TBMs. Nice, nice. Well, you proved you proved they work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we it must lost have been smoking. 
Yeah, they were definitely hot. They we lost our shoot at like a two hundred eight mile an hour pass, and you know you don't get on the you don't stab the brakes right off the bat either. So I mean, no. we lost some track, you know, slowdown time just waiting on the shoot. Um, but that track, you know, Gainesville had a a super long shutdown. I mean, we'd have been in trouble if we'd have been on a lot of other tracks. Yeah, but, you know, they had enough shutdown. It we got to stop good. The the rotors when they get super hot, I don't know how much they grow because there's a ton of clearance. You know, if you just with everything installed on the car and everything's cool, but those rotors will grow like in diameter to the point that they start touching the the inside of the caliper. If that makes sense, yeah, yep. yeah, and it was it was touching hardcore. You know, when we had to stop from that speed, I mean, we we felt them touch a little bit, like you could see just a little indication on the, the rotor because the rotor is not just a, a round rotor. You know, it's I'm not sure how you describe it. It's wavy. Travis, Travis will probably post a picture, but I'm familiar with them too. Yeah, so. yeah. So you know, like the high points of the rotor were digging into like the the base or the inside of the caliper. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. It was pretty scary, but I mean, it, the car got slowed down just fine. Nice. So see, it's safe to say those brakes and the rotors went nuclear. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I need, that's the emergency brake uh, portion of them. Once you get them that hot, they start grabbing the steel yeah, on the rotor to slow you down. All on their yeah. own. <laughs> it, all on their own. Yeah. They got so hot that, you know, it looked like it had a lot of brake pad material, like just kind of. Uh, welded itself to the to the rotor you know they looked really rough you know like if you'd ran metal on metal mm -hmm. and but i mean the next pass i mean we didn't have a choice to to run you know i mean the brakes felt good and they worked good and we borrowed a parachute and whatever <laughs> whatever it had deposited from the brake pad on the rotor it must have scrubbed off on the next pass so, i mean they're they're just as good as they ever were now you know nice. that's, that's impressive that's yeah. impressive that's some destructive testing right there that's yeah. good um, so we have a few questions uh, from folks from Stick Shift Nation. You got a few minutes to run through those? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll take the first one, Rich. Um, would spread port heads hold an exhaust gas gasket better than your current heads? Um, so I was, I was reading comments on a YouTube video the other day, I think it might've been our, you know, the tick YouTube page. We posted a video explaining our header flanges that we just made. You know, we made some really thick header flanges cause we've had a lot of trouble with the header flanges warping, uh, went to like a stall pattern this year with an adapter plate. Cause our head's just a conventional small box heavy head. Right. And, uh, so somebody asked the same question and I didn't even really know what a spread port head was. You know, I mean, I'm, other than this car, I'm an LS guy, you know, with tick performance is a shop that, you know, specialized in LS performance and kind of getting off topic, but this car not being an LS is kind of why I like it so good. You know, we, we built it for a customer cause we're a late model GM shop, but it was not an LS and it, and it did really well. So that's, that's kind of why I like it. But some of my small block Chevy knowledge is, is, is limited because, just haven't done much of that so i had to look up what a spread port head was and you know what i found out was that they spaced the two middle ports apart about a half an inch more than they are uh -huh. um, and mm -hmm. to answer that question yes that probably 
uh, would have helped or could have helped. But, you know, part of the problem with the small block Chevy design is just you've got those two exhaust ports in the middle side by side. So the, the head heats up less evenly, I guess you'd say, compared to something with a symmetrical port like an LS uh, or a small block Ford. So maybe it would have helped, but being as we don't run any water, you know, kind of the idea with the spread port, I think, and moving those ports apart a half an inch was to get some water jacket, uh, you know, to kind of get some water between those ports or in a, a different place. And since we don't run water, I don't know how much it would have helped. Might, might would help in terms of gasket sealing ability or, or gasket design, but ultimately I doubt it would make very much difference without a water-cooled head. Yeah, Pontiacs are the same. Yeah. Two center port, center exhaust ports. And <clears throat> I'm continually torquing that bolt too. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gets yeah. uh it gets pretty hot. Yeah. Rich, you want to take the next one? Sure. Where did the name Grub Worm come from? <laughs> um the guy that we built the car for like i've said a couple of times now we, we built this car for a customer um and his name was randy grubbs or might have been randy grub i'm not sure if it has an s on the end or not but um anyway you know the i like the car he it came up for sale we ended up being able to get the car and one of the guys at the shop, you know, we, I wanted to name the car because I, I think it's cool that the old stick shift, you know, gear jammer type cars, they all had names. You know, they put names on the side of the car, the door, whatever, you know, like from way back when in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, I thought I want to I name my car and, you know, kind of make it look like those old school cars, even though it's not an old school car. And... One of the guys was like, you should name it the Grub Worm. You name it after Randy. You know, he owned it. Everybody will know that, you know, they'll remember the car. It's kind of like my, my dad's story, you know, about Tick. It's like everybody will know it was Randy Grub's car if you name it the Grub Worm. And, you know, the, not knocking Randy, but the car kind of had a reputation, you know, in our area of of not being very fast. <laughs> it was uh, – it was solved a, that problem <laughs> yeah well it was it was like motivation for me you know once i bought it because a lot i mean he raced it on the street if you know if you want to call it that roll racing whatever mexico mexico yeah he he, he went to mexico a lot <laughs> and apparently he got outrun a lot and by cars that made a good bit less power and you know, i don't know if it was just the the lagginess of the turbo setup it had at the time or you know maybe it was driver i don't know but a lot of people ragged on the car because they they thought it was slow and i thought well we'll name it grub worm and we'll show them you know that what this car is really capable of and you know that's that's just that's how it went <laughs> nice nice <laughs> mission accomplished yes yeah <laughs> all right so we got another question here uh my ls pilot bearing is slightly loose i've heard people use a knurled pilot bearing or Loctite to take up the slack what do you recommend oh uh, well if it was loose i would probably measure the bearing and see if the problem was the crank or the bearing mm. you know if, if if it were a small bearing i may look you know to a different brand first you know and, and hopefully find one that's sized right but if if the crankshaft's bore is you know larger than it should be wallered out yeah, I mean, if there's <laughs> could be, 
Uh, if it's spun one in it at some point in its life or whatever, you know, and the, and the hole's larger than it should be, I mean, I guess knurling could be a, a possibility. You know, if it's if it's close to a press fit, you know, green Loctite will, you know, hold more than, you know, you, you'd think. And I've seen that work. But um, I run bushings. I don't run a bearing. And if you run a bushing and the, and it's not pressing in tight enough or it doesn't have a press fit, you could always just turn some off the outside and machine a sleeve, uh, you know, to take up, you know, to give it a press fit. In other words, that's probably what I would do. Yep. Hmm. All right. It's interesting. Bill and I have the debate on bushings or bearings all the time. How come bushing? How come not bearing for you? Well, a bearing would obviously be better and we may make the switch back to a bearing because one of the things that happened to us in Florida was our pilot bushing got trashed and we had to drop the transmission after the, the 661 pass that night. Uh, we knew it was hurt going into that final round of that shootout. We ran it anyway, but um, the, the bushing gets all like micro welded to the input shaft and then it just chews it out. You know, it destroys it. But the, the main reason behind running a bushing is it never hurts the input shaft you know you can take some emery cloth and you know knock off whatever you know might have bonded itself to the shaft if you do have a failure and in our car in our application we're taking the transmission out anyway multiple times a year so knocking another pilot bushing in is not a big deal um with the baron you know the baron might last multiple seasons i don't know but when the bearing does fail, you know, then you're going to destroy your tip of your input shaft most likely. Um, and we had that happen in our car. We was actually at a race, went to the um, U.S. Street Nationals a couple of years ago. We, and at the time we were running bearings, you know, factory GM bearing. Um, and we had the bearing fail. And the tolerant, the input shaft, you know, could move around enough at that point where it was no longer supported that it actually broke the slave cylinder. We At the time, we were using a factory like LS F-body slave cylinder, and the diameter of the shaft was so close to the, the bore of that slave that it broke the, the slate, like the guide tube part of the slave. Oh, Leaked I've done that a shaft. few times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think I know, broke the, three of them at Drag Week one year. Uh, well, yeah, that the bearing, you know, fell in that way. You know, it's like the bush and it'll gradually wear out unless something bad happens, you know, and you just maintain it. Whereas the barren is kind of like it's good until the day it ain't and then it destroys everything. Yeah. So yeah, I've, yeah. I've always read bearings. Um, I haven't had any issues, but I know that, you know, Bill struggled for quite a while. I know he's made the shift recently and uh, the last outing was good. Anyways, hey, Bill. Yeah. Speaking. So, yeah. So I, for a lot of years, um, well, I tried a bearing, needle bearing, and ended up, this was when I had a TKO in the car with a NA motor and ended up trashing the input shaft. So I went to a bushing for years, like five years probably. And and the, the factory or the, like the off the shelf bushing that you could get, they're relatively soft. And I had put one in, drove the car to the track, made three hits and drove it home and pulled it out and it had wrecked the, the bushing and i was just like god this this just can't be and so i have a, a buddy of mine uh, he's a machinist and i talked to him and we ended up machining um a couple of bushings out of a harder bronze 
Now it wasn't the oil light type stuff. So, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. If, if it doesn't have some lubricity built into that metal, yeah, it, it did work a lot better. Like it lasted a lot longer, but it was, it would get noisy because, you know, it really didn't have the oil impregnation. Um, so then after talking to another friend who runs, I don't know how much power is Pat making 3000 Pat Miker. Yeah, he's 2,500, 3,000 horse. Yeah. <clears throat> and a 67 a, yeah, and he's got a Lenko in it, but he said he's using a, uh, like an industrial ball bearing, like a sealed ball bearing. And I checked with the bearing supply house here and they had one that perfect ID and OD and I tapped it in there and I did race week with it and I've done a couple of events and every, every time I pull it out, I'm expecting terrible things and it's it's in perfect shape. So yeah. I think I'm in good shape now, but it, yeah, the, it's taken a bit to get there. The, the sealed ball bearing is definitely the way if, if you can, if you can make that work. Cause you know, like the late model GM stuff, you know, they had a sealed ball bearing that fits in the, you know, the rearmost pocket of the crank, you know, like where the converter would pilot itself if it had an automatic training. Yeah. And those seem to hold up great, but those needle style roller bearings, you know, like the old small box heavy and the early LS yeah. stuff had is, terrible those terrify me because it's just yeah. you're right anything goes wrong your input shaft is wrecked yeah so okay another another question from the interweb so uh thoughts on starting line ratio and how does ideal starting line ratio change as power increases well i don't change the start line ratio because i've got one option with those you know with the g-force gear set yeah <laughs> so it it, it it is what it is, but, you know, uh, PPG has other gear options and we've ran other, you know, like a, a taller gear in a couple of our fast cars, like Joel Steele's car. Um, it had a 258 first gear, I think, compared to our 271. Um, so, you know, at our power level, I think we'd be better if we had a taller first gear, you know, to kind of get that start line ratio down. Um, but you know, we, we run what we run, our backup parts are what we run. It's just, it'd be a huge investment to change. So, you know, what, it's, what rear gear are you running in Grubworm? It's a 340. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think you answered the last question we had was about the, the shifts for the Holly and how you did that. So Rich, should we jump to the, uh, the TKO round? Uh, we get, Got another important question first. Oh, what is it? World Cup. Oh, yep. World Cup's coming up. You're going, uh, um, that's a little closer to you too, right? Yeah, we're probably five and a half hours from where World Cup happens. Mm -hmm. so. And you're going? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like the Super Bowl of what we do, I guess. You know, that's, <laughs> that's our favorite event. You know, the weather's always... Uh, just awesome, if not too cold, you know, it borderlines on, you know, just being too cold to really get a hold of the track. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be there. You know, they do a 25 car, you know, ET minimum required deal. So it's always the fastest guys, you know, best race in my opinion. So are you going to have to do anything with your clutch before you go or do you have a couple of them? Like you're obviously not running the uh, billet one. You'll probably stick with what you know. Yeah, we'll probably stick with what we know. We the, the clutch we have in the car is an eight-inch twin, and the billet is also an eight-inch twin. 
Mm. And what Rob is trying to get me to do is to take those discs and put in with the billet. Um, I didn't want to do that for Florida because I just didn't want to show up to Florida totally, you know, untested with that combination. But at this point, I might go ahead and try that for World Cup. I mean, the clutch went away. Like, as we were running at Florida, the clutch kind of went away. And in our final rounds, we should have been – well, it went a, a 673 in the in the semis, uh, which was fast, but our 60-foot kind of fell off. And then the 60-foot was off even more against Joel in the final, even though that we turned the car up. Um, I just – with the six-lever, you know, with the billet, it's probably a lot more stable. I mean, who knows what kind of flex and, you know, crazy stuff is going on with that stamp steel pressure plate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of gotten like our, our – the clutch is still holding out the back and we still got our mile per hour. And, you know, it's not like we're, we're slipping it or hurting it, but it's just, it seems to have become inconsistent. And Rob thinks that the billet would, you know, be more consistent. I mean, it, he's really concerned, you know, just from a safety standpoint, you know, when is this thing going to let go? So we're probably going to put the billet in with the, with the old ones clutches since we can't get the kind of clutch that we're wanting to get. There's just, we, we had some stuff to try, like I said earlier, but it was, the material is super soft, according to Rob, and they were chunking like material off of the back. And so we were, you know, just scared to run that, but I really didn't think about putting the other discs in with the billet clutch. He's, you know, it just never dawned on me that, Hey, they're both eight inch. They both work, but that's yeah, what we're going to do. And I'll be honest. Um, I've been struggling getting discs for, I have a twin disc 10 and a half and I actually had to buy uh, riches because uh, he doesn't run that hammer of a clutch anymore, but I couldn't get, because <laughs> there's different formulas of that. Uh, was it the 5135 disc material? There's actually sub parts or, or formulas for it. And some are softer and they're way more aggressive, like way grabbier. Yeah. And, like the ones that I'm running and the, the, the pair that I bought from Rich, uh, it's a lot harder. I guess the Rockwell's harder, and they yeah. last a long time, and they slip. They're not quite as aggressive, and they work really, really well for my scenario with the clutch controller. Um, and I was able to get some other ones that I thought were it, but they're the softer ones, and I'm not even going to put them in because they just they don't work as well for me, and they don't yeah. last. Like I'll wear them out after like a race week or a Midwest drags or something. They're just they're just wasted. Yeah. So yeah, I hear you. It's it's crazy the supply chain stuff. So yeah, so TKO round, so we can okay and go. Let's All right, so it. we have we have a TKO round with five questions. You want to start it, Rich? <laughs> sure. First car you owned or modified? Um. Well, I mean, I had a S uh, an S ten in high school which I, I guess I modified to some degree, but I mean, it was a four wheel drive S10. <laughs> but the first car that I actually like went to the track and you know, really tried to modify and go fast was a 99 Trans Am that I have. Ooh, and nice. I still have, I mean, I bought that car probably a year before we opened Tick. And nice. it was actually the first thing we ever put on the lift that, you know, we bought for Tick, you know, before we, my dad opened the doors to, you know, like start doing business. We put our my Trans Am on there, and we did like a cam and head package and stuff. Um, 
it's still the car. I still have the car. It's at rock solid motorsports right now, getting a bunch of chassis work done. Uh, the turbo stuff. I've been waiting on some, some parts so I can get down to those guys to, you know, do the turbo plumbing headers and all that. But it's, um, it's going to be a billet block, billet head, four or 500 bore space, small block Chevy. So it's going to come out and wreck the skid shift class, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's my first car that I really, you know, did a lot as far as modifying. That's awesome. All right. Second gear. What, in your opinion, has been the biggest technology change to move our sport forward? Man, I don't know. Um, I mean, cars going fast now, I think, probably have, you know, a lot to just tire technology and, and prep, you know, in comparison to years ago. I mean, prep and, and tires have came a long way, and then it's probably just uh, the EFI systems and all the data that you can, you know, all the sensors and everything that you can monitor now, you know, to make, you know, educated adjustments more so than just guessing at stuff. And some of that technology has probably been around for a long time, but um, I think people have just, you know, they're just learning more, you know, there's more people doing it, you know, you see more and, and more experience and more knowledge out there, more access to knowledge, you know, with social media and just everything. But, Single thing I would say is probably the the tires, technology and tires and prep. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that that information piece is key. I know watching your uh, the data on your paths, I'm like, okay, yeah, I have a rear shock sensor that I haven't installed yet, <laughs> but it's going on now. Um, okay, next question. Uh, so, what is your day job at Tick? Well, I own Tick now. You know, my dad he. He retired. Uh, it's been mine for, I guess, the last five or six years. Basically, the point where we started really pushing the machine work is, you know, when I took ownership of the of the company. Uh, mostly, I just bounce around. You know, mostly I work on my race car, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I do engines, you know, which was something, you know, engine assembly, as a hobby of mine I, I did it on the side you know at my house for the last few years but kind of got more of that going on than you know I wanted to do on the side so we recently moved all that stuff back to tick so I do a lot of engine assembly other than that you know I'll I'll do tech calls or you know just whatever you know helping out answering guys on messenger <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I I don't work in the machine shop side of it. You know, I, I used to, when we first started doing transmissions, that's, that was my thing. You know, I did the transmissions, you know, just by myself. Uh, you know, I, I did transmission rebuilds for probably three or four years before we moved back to Mount Airy to, you know, our current location. And then when we moved to add to the old, you know, tick history or whatever, you know, we, we started our business in Mount Airy and we worked there for four years. Then we moved to Mooresville and we actually teamed up with another company that did tuning. So we were like a mechanic, you know, we were the wrench and they were the tuner and we split all the bills, you know, rent for the, the building and all that kind of stuff. But then we decided to move back to Mount Airy when, you know, we moved to Mooresville, which was about 80 miles away. So we moved back to, you know, our hometown, and that's the point where I hired a guy, you know, trained a guy to start doing the transmission rebuilds. 
and that's when I started doing the tuning. So um, I'm probably getting off so far off course. I think I've lost track of the question now, but what was the question? Oh, your day job. So yeah, you, you answered it. Yeah, so, so I did transmissions, then I did the tuning. We kind of phased all that out. So now it's just, you know, I, I'll sit on Facebook all day and, you know, stir the pot and work on my race car once in a while. <laughs> I, I, I have seen you stir the pot quite a bit. Yeah. I love it. It's pretty love awesome, it. yeah. And, and I think there was some comment about you maybe uh, hurting some feelings on this podcast tonight. <laughs> so oh. I like that. Yeah. Um. So let's slide into fourth gear. Uh, what influences you to build your car or cars? Um, well, I mean, a lot of the motivation to build the car that we're racing and do what we're doing is just because the manual transmission side of our business is, is a huge part of our business. And, and we want to showcase, you know, what we're capable of, you know, with those transmissions. And, um, but otherwise, I mean, I just, I like stick shift racing, you know, I like racing in general, but you know, it's, it's not too hard to motivate me to, you know, to want to work on a race car and, and go race it, you know? <laughs> so safe to say you don't like a purse to put in your back seat with an automatic, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Perfect. It's a bit of history there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is the this is the tough question now. <clears throat> what, in your opinion, is the secrets to stick shift racing? What would be the the, the biggest improvement? Clutch management. I, I would say so, you know, it, whether it be an adjustable clutch like we run or you run or, or like a product like Bill offers to, you know, to control the clutch electronically with the hydraulics, you know, uh, the life of your entire drivetrain and, and, you know, having any level of success, really, if you start making serious power is, is controlling the clutch for, you know, 100%. Nice. Nice. Um, so let's get crazy and throw it into double overdrive with the T56 question. So number six, uh, <laughs> and this kind of is maybe the same question because you just sort of answered it, but what advice would you give to someone getting into this sport? As in stick shift racing? Yeah. Well, I mean, drag racing, but I mean, if you're going to be cool, then yeah, you're going to do stick shift racing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as far as advice goes, I mean, I, I think maybe buy everything in the tick catalog is a start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tickperformance.com, everything you need, uh, please buy it there. But uh, no, it's, uh, I would, I would say in, in racing anything in general, the best advice that I would give based off of our, you know, experiences being a shop that did installs and did tuning is just don't, don't try to race outside of your means you know like mm. set goals that are attainable you know don't like you know it's, it'd be great if people had the goal to come out there and and run h pattern outlaw stick shift and and you know dive into the sixes you know i mean i want to see all that grow but you know people people you know if you have realistic goals you know that are more easily met i think it you know it keeps you motivated you know if you if you spend way too much money outside of your you know your budget or your capability you know you get just you know just discouraged and whatever so i mean the best advice for anybody racing anything is just build a car that you can maintain 
and enjoy it for what it is. You know, you don't have to be, you know, the guy that's holding the record or, you know, winning drag week or whatever. It's just build a car and enjoy it and, you know, go out there and, and compete and finish and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Rich would agree um, that people severely underestimate, especially in stick racing. And, and we like to make fun of the auto guys too, but, but this would include them as well. I think they really underestimate what it takes to maintain, like, let's say a nine second car or an eight second car. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of nuts, like really. And we talk about this a lot and what poor life choices we've made, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there is so much, there's so much to, to check and maintain and just to maintain the safety factor and the reliability and, you know, just to keep it all together. Like, yeah. like a 12 second car, man, those are easy days. I used to change oil and maybe spark plugs and I drive it all summer. Yeah. And eight second car, it's a whole different game. That's right. Yeah. We'll do a lot. I'm looking for the picture of Bill and I with our parachutes out side by side, but <clears throat> I can only imagine when you, uh, when you made that 660 pass, like, did you think you went that fast? Like it must've felt fantastic going through the traps, even though you could see Garrett's taillights, but he cheated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew it was going to be faster than a 675 because we turned it up a little bit. And of course, you know, the sun went down, so the air got much better. So I didn't, I didn't think it would have, you know, been a 661, but you know, I, I, I figured it could get in the 660s, you know, so. Well, the G's, yeah. Are the G's that you were pulling on that pass pretty normal for you? Like that was a 247. I, I slowed it down and looked quite a few times. Might have been yeah. a 250, but. Well, the, that's one piece of data that I really don't pay much attention to. I mean, I got the G meter, the, the Holly G meter in the car. And, you know, I sent the, the log file to that guy that made that overlay. I mean, that's not something I made. It's just a guy that he does that for a lot of, you know, faster cars. You know, it's just interesting. He, he's probably got all kinds of cars on his YouTube channel doing that with, but. Um, he, he more or less picked out that piece of data that he put on there. So I, I don't even know how that would compare to, you know, an average pass. Cause I just don't look at that, that number. But, um, but I mean, it, it didn't feel crazy or different. I mean, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, you get used to your car, uh, whether you're running a, you know, if you, if you went eights for the first time, you know, getting out of a 10 second car, you know, it, it'd feel mind blowing, I guess, how fast it was if you'd never been in the eights, but you make a few passes and, and you get used to it. And in my car, I mean, it, 660s, it feels like, you know, a seven flat pass. I mean, it don't, the car's calm and, you know, controlled and, you know, there's not a lot of driver input except for just grabbing the next gear. So it, it feels, you know, just pretty mild or under control. It don't feel like it's that fast. It, you made it look pretty uh, mild as you're whistling yeah. down the tractor. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, Jonathan, I really want to thank you, both Rich and I, for sure, um, for your time tonight. This has been enlightening and probably going to cause us to make some more poor choices, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, I, I do want to, again, huge thanks to Stick Shift Nation for hosting the podcast. Um, and you can not now find the Clutch Burners podcast on nine different platforms, uh, YouTube, and then all the other uh, podcast platforms on, you know, your phone or whatever. Um, and 
If you'd like to see us continue and grow, head over to stickshiftracing.com and grab a Stickshift Nation shirt or sticker and let us know. We haven't done any clutch burner stickers or shirts or anything, but if that's something you're interested in, then uh, you might be able to twist our arm a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to thank you too. I mean, we uh, we tried to get you on here before you broke the record, but uh, doing it after you broke the record just made it that much more uh, that much more special because <clears throat> that was that was pretty cool. That was uh, like we said, I, I definitely broke my Facebook. Like every every like, <laughs> geez, I've seen that video like eight times now. Like what else is on here? So it was pretty. It was pretty cool too. I mean, I I know Garrett as well. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty phenomenal. So really appreciate your time, especially on your son's birthday. So give him our best. Yes. And, yes thank you so um, much. Yeah. We really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thanks for letting me do this. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Have a good one. All right. Have a good one.